We will be dealing with a sensitive and frankly tragic issue today, human trafficking, but we will also be focusing on an organization doing something about it and helping its victims. They are working in a fishing region of Ghana in West Africa known as the Volta. It's a small region, but the events and issues happening there are repeated throughout the world in places large and small. Joining us will be Monique Vandenbroek. Monique, along with her husband, Mershak Kabu Akli, have begun a community support organization in Ghana, West Africa, called the Volta Revival Foundation. It focuses on empowering communities along the Volta River and Lake to find co-creative solutions to educational and human rights challenges. Currently, the Volta Revival Foundation is working to bring awareness to the issues of human trafficking in Ghana, especially in the fishing industry. The Volta Revivals Foundation's current project includes supporting previously trafficked students through school and to get the emotional and academic support they need to end the cycle of child trafficking. Uh, Monique will also read us later on in the show a visceral poem, which isn't a particular child's story, but is a story of all the children who have faced these issues and is based on experience of, of some actual children there. Monique is joining us by phone. Monique, welcome to The Point. Hi, Bruce. Thank you. All right, so um, we had you on last year, about a year ago, mm-hmm. this time, um, talking about some of these issues. We're going to talk a lot about this human trafficking in the Volta area, but first, I know that your foundation, the Volta Revival Foundation, has an event coming up. I'm wondering if you could just very briefly give us the sort of quick and dirty, when, where, et cetera, uh, on that, and then we'll get into these issues and then give you a chance to talk a little bit more about the event later on in the show. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, our organization hosts an annual fundraising event called A Night in Ghana every year. This year it's at Aspen Hall on August 29th from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. And there's going to be live music from West Africa and West African Art Auction, as well as uh, some more experiential art projects and all of it will fundraise for education and human rights in Ghana, specifically the project that we're talking about today, Traffic to School. Okay. Um, So last year, uh, you were on the air uh, with us uh, to Mm -hmm. talk about another human rights issue uh, your organization was advocating for, and that issue concerned a fishing village, which was threatened with forced displacement by Hilton Hotels and Trasico Development Company. Are there any updates about that that project? Absolutely. Um, So we've successfully been able to... um, petition the government to stop the unjust uh, forced resettlement of the people. So the people are still on the island, and the companies are unable to construct there right now because it's a turtle habitat and a really fragile ecosystem. And so we're really happy to uh, kind of say that we have been able to get a really good uh, petition going through the government of Ghana so that we can continuously advocate for the community for at least a just and human rights-focused as well as environmentally-focused uh, resettlement. So we're pretty happy about that. Okay, so uh, a good success story, at least uh, slowing down the progress of these two uh, big uh, corporations. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, great. Well, uh, congratulations on that success. So uh, we wanted to you know, you're, you're, uh, talk about the work you're doing uh, with human trafficking. Uh-huh. Uh, most of the time, I guess, when we think about human trafficking i guess we often think about human sex trafficking right uh, but there there are other there are other uh kinds of human trafficking it's sad that it even exists at all of course it's right. terrible uh can you talk just a little bit about some of the other other ways or the other reasons people are trafficked yeah it's 
it's like you said, it's, um, it's much more pervasive than just sex trafficking or drug trafficking like we usually hear about. Um, unfortunately, kind of because of this larger consumerist culture, a lot of people, you know, feel a lot of pressure to keep prices down. And in a lot of countries, they do that by using child labor. They do that by um, trafficking migrants into their countries so they can get free or forced labor. Um, so obviously in the world, it's a huge problem, and Ghana is no exception. And uh, one of the aspects is that uh, domestic industries have a lot of slaves um, globally calculating to about 25 million people in forced labor around the world. Um, and so that's what we are kind of referring to in, in our particular area of trafficking, about uh, specifically child trafficking into forced labor. And in Ghana, that looks a lot like um, in the fishing industry because of a dam that was created in the 60s, which basically knocked out the economy along the Volta River and Lake, which is where we work. And so um, we've basically been able to realize how pervasive this issue is um, in terms of the Ghana situation as well as the global situation. Yeah, I, I read a report that's, I think it was a well, UN report, that uh, 2016, I guess the latest uh, year for which issue, uh, numbers were uh, available, that there was a record number of child trafficking uh, yeah. occurred in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, is that, as far as you know, is it continuing to go up? Or is the attention, seems like there's increased attention on it, starting to change the situation at all? Yeah, you know, I... I wouldn't be so bold as to say that it's going down, um, but I definitely see that um, there are more NGOs more active in working on this issue. I know that Ghana, as a country, has made a call out to NGOs to help with these, uh, like, kind of such a sensitive issue, and you need so much support and so much resources in order to actually provide real sustainable change for this issue. And in Africa as a whole, unfortunately, I think we see it rising. Um, We have the case in Libya, we have a lot of things going on in East Africa, and um, so, you know, we're just in our corner of the world trying to see see how best we can support uh, community members along the Volta River and Lake, because the economic situation there seems to be getting more and more dire as um, you know, it's not been changing since the dam was built. So that's unfortunate. What specifically does your organization, the Volta Revival Foundation, do uh, to to deal with this issue of human trafficking there? Right. So we ourselves as a community support organization, which basically means that we believe communities have the solutions to their own problems because they live them every day. Um, So what we see our role in all of this to be is basically empowering the children um, and youth who have gone through this. So their ages range from 10 to 20 years old, and they uh, basically will come back from fishing uh, trafficking or fishing slavery uh, to find that they still don't have the economic means to put themselves through school. Their families usually don't, and in the first place, usually 
it's an economic situation that drives them into uh, the trafficked position. Currently, we're working with a cohort of 12 students at a particular school, and we'll expand the program through the years, but we're working to raise money so that we can support them emotionally uh, with counseling and mentorship, as well as pay all the school fees and provide them a safe environment to learn and grow, as well as teaching them in, like, human rights advocacy and training over the years so that um, we believe they're the ones who ultimately can change the situation of child trafficking and fishing slavery in Ghana because they understand it much more intimately, even though we are inundated with it now because of their stories. So we find ourselves in a supportive role towards um, helping empower advocates in rural communities so that we can sustainably find solutions and end uh, kind of what's going on in the fishing industry in Ghana. Okay, and so I just a quick question that I thought about. Uh, how mm-hmm. how did the, the uh, I guess these are children, um, mm-hmm. 10 to 20, I guess some of them may be on the, just sort of the edge of adulthood, but, but we're basically talking about children. How are they taken into trafficking? How do they end up there? Yeah, so that, that's probably the most difficult part to grasp because most of the time, so I can say that there's about 100,000 domestic slaves in Ghana today, um, probably more. Uh, about 80,000 of those are children trafficked into fishing slavery. And 60 to 80% of them come from the region where my husband was born, which is Ada. Um, so basically, what happens is they get, they're born in these very poor fishing villages, which used to be very prosperous when the Volta River and Lake was in a better situation. Um, and so they are born usually second, third, fourth, fifth children. And uh, a lot of times their parents have either disabilities or severe, uh, you know, life factors which cause them to not be able to bring in a huge income. So they see it to be an economic factor and they see it to be uh, like maybe a sacrifice for the whole. So oftentimes parents will know a cousin or a friend who owns a boat on the Volta Lake or River and that person will say, hey, I'll, uh, I'll take your child, um, you know, sometimes three, four, five years old, I'll take your child from you, and I'll, sometimes they promise to put them in school, sometimes they don't, sometimes they promise to pay off a debt, sometimes they just say, I'll take them, and I'll take care of them, and I'll not give you anything in return, um, and sometimes they also pay the parents uh, frequently for the child's labor, but uh, basically, that is the situation, What how those very young children get trafficked in the first place. Usually, it involves their families and an economic situation. So it's hard to understand uh, a parent uh, giving up their child right. like that. But but okay. but I guess uh, the question is that to me points out how how desperate and and uh, yeah. I guess yeah. unbearable their their situations are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We hear a lot of stories about parents with disabilities, um, mothers who know, weren't able to access, like, kind of any kind of medical health or contraceptives and weren't able to, like, you know, control their situation in life, essentially. Um, And so there's a lot of factors that go into it. It's not a simple issue, which is why we really believe that it's the children who are going to grow up with an education who have experienced this, who could actually uh, make those kinds of sustainable changes with the health of our organization.
All right, we're back on the Tuesday Point, uh, speaking with Monique Vandenbroek of the uh, organization Volta Revival Foundation. Monique is going to uh, read for us uh, a narrative, very, very powerful narrative poem about the situation. So uh, go ahead and uh, take it away, Monique. Awesome. So I'll just read it, and then maybe we can talk about it a little bit after. But uh, this is a poem. It's called uh, for, for Kwame and Others. My name is Kwame. I was born in Grosvenia, a small fishing village in Adagana, West Africa, between the Gulf of Guinea and the Volta River. I was born with the waters in my blood, the waters which have been the great source of wealth for my people for hundreds of years and now the source of our suffering also. My mother is blind. My father is lame. I was born poor, although unknown riches keep calling my name. When I was yet barely four, my mother took me north to Akisombo on the Volta Lake, where she gave me to a cousin who was called Krusha because of his mighty strength. He had a boat where I was to work as a fishing boy for the next ten years of my young life. But before you judge my mother, make you understand the burden it is to be a human. My mother never went to school. She lost her sight early from disease. As a fish seller, she never did very well because she was not able to go anywhere without a guy. But she was a proud woman. She was also abused by her family and then her first husband before she fled. She worked hard. She sent my older brother to school until she could no longer afford it. And then I was born. With a smile on my face, she later told me, and the water in my blood. She left me in Akisombo with Kresha, who for the next 10 years I would call master. At first, I was small, so I was made to throw excess water from the boat and mend the nets or scale the fish. Some girls also did the same and also sold the fish. As I grew, I would help pull in the nets, set the traps. The worst was when the nets would catch on the old trees at the bottom of the lake and I was forced to dive deep into Lake Volta. They threw me in the water, so they sink, overly swim. They made bets on my life, though I could barely hear as my head bobbed below the surface. But I was born with the waters in my blood, and so I rose with the net every time. Others were not so lucky. They would lose oxygen, rise to the surface, only for their heads to meet the flat edge of the massive oar. The lucky ones would only pass out, get pulled back into the boat, our savior, our captor. As for the others, well, I have seen horrible things. We would work from 4 a.m. to 6 p.m. every day, the kind of exhaustion you feel from many months that way, many died from disease. We're not fed well, especially if we could not do what they asked. Maybe we wouldn't receive fish for a month, sometimes longer. The punishments were harsh, and God forbid we ever complained. In all that time that I worked on the boat, I've never received anything. But my master has often told me how he sent a lot of money to my mother. We never went to school, so it was all I could dream about. They called me blue eyes because I was always daydreaming and looking at the sky. I would often get beaten for that. When I was 10, I tried to get back to Adam for my grandfather's funeral. My brother even came for me and enrolled me in school. But soon another man came and took me back to Akasombo. My mother could not protest, for she could not even pay my school fees or buy my uniform. Again, I was enslaved for four more years until my mother came and told me my brother had gotten me a job as a security, so I left. I enrolled again in school, but I was 14 and only in first grade. I bought my uniform, my shoes, some writing books. The textbooks were too expensive. Everything I had, I earned myself, and I thought I was finally free. 
like that smiley blue eyes boy I used to be. But I was born with the waters in my blood, and soon the floods did come to take me. The nightmares began again. My mother fell sick, and the small wage I, I made could not suffice for both my school fees and her medicine. I was already so behind anyway, so I dropped out. I went back to fishing, the work I so hated, this time of my own accord. And now, when the young ones come on the boat, I am told to beat them when they misbehave. And I know I am beating myself. The boys born with the waters in their blood, will they sink or will they swim? Uh, Monique Vanderbrook with uh, her poem for Kwame. Uh, Monique, that was a, a very powerful uh, and uh, evocative piece. Thank you. Um, can you, uh, I guess, just tell us what 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 inspired you to write that? Are right. there is that a con- is that a compilation of different stories of people that right. you know? Yeah. So what happened is our project manager uh, Julius in Ghana. He was able to have interviews with all of the students and transcribe them. And I, I read all of that, our, our board read all of the stories, and um, based on that, I, I was um, inspired and I think emboldened to write this poem, which uh, is, is not my story, but um, I've been privileged to to hear it. And so it is, it is a blend of many stories as well as some other, you know, kinds of uh, visualization details, um, and it just kind of chronicles the cyclical nature of, of trafficking and slavery and in this particular instance in the fishing industry and how how the, the small boy will become the man and the man will become the master of the boat and the cycle will continue and continue and continue. And uh, if if I may, it's fair to summarize that one of the, what you're trying to do with your organization is break that cycle. Absolutely. Right. Okay. Provide That's that. our main focus is realizing that um, those those boys and girls stuck in that cycle are, are the only ones who really, um, we believe, have the power to stop it. But they, they themselves need to be empowered first with uh, all of the skills that they need in order to thrive and succeed and realize that they can have dreams and that they can follow those dreams, that it's not um, impossible and that kind of reawaken their imagination. To, to what can be, rather than what has been. All right. Uh, thank you, Monique. We have about a minute for you. Uh, I know you have an event coming up to uh, as a fundraiser. Uh, can you talk about that, uh, your uh, night in Ghana coming up here in uh, this month? Absolutely. We're really excited. This is our second annual event um, in the Bend area, and I'm from Bend, Oregon, so I'm really excited to share this cultural event with my community here. And uh, it's going to be at Aston Hall August 29th from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. It's called A Night in Ghana. You may see posters around town. And we're featuring an artist called Okanda, a trio of high-life musicians who are going to be playing some great 60s, 70s West African dance music, as well as palm wine music, an art auction, and a really great experiential um, time together with a lot of really good vibes. And we're really excited for this event and hoping that we can see all of our community members out there to help support what's going on and bring a little culture to Ben, you know? 
All right, great. Uh, and if people want to find out more information, where can they go to do that? Uh, absolutely. Uh, you can go onto our website, Volta, V-O-L-T-A, Revival, R-E-V-I-V-A-L, dot org. That's our website. Or you can email us at voltarevival at gmail.com. All right, great. Uh, Monique Vanderbrook, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks We're so going to have to leave it there. We've got to roll on to our next show. Thanks for listening to this KPOV podcast. KPOV is community radio for the high desert of Central Oregon. For more information and our program schedule, please visit kpov.org. We value your feedback. Drop us a note at podcasts at kpov.org.